Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And I have plenty of wonderful merch in my store, and the link is in my show notes. As well, if you're a fan of Canadian history, make sure you check out all of my shows, from John to Justin, Canadian History X, Canada, A Yearly Journey, and Pucks and Cups, along with Canada's Great War. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. Just click Donate. It helps keep this show going. Okay, on with the show. This week, I'm looking at 1893, and it was quite the year. On February 7th, Joseph Pierce was born in Brantford, Ontario, He would serve in the First World War, reaching the rank of major before being injured and returning home to Canada. Back home, he earned a master's degree from the University of Toronto and began studying at the Lick Observatory in California. In 1930, he would earn his PhD from Berkeley. Returning home to Canada, he joined the Dominion Astrophysical Observatory in British Columbia, becoming the assistant director in 1935 and from 1940 to 1951, the director. From 1949 to 1950, he served as the president of the Royal Society of Canada. His field of study was the structure of the Milky Way and O-type stars. He would receive an honorary doctorate of science degree from the University of British Columbia, and he passed away on September 8, 1988. On February 9, 1893, the first mock parliament is held in Winnipeg when Amelia Yeomans, a pioneering doctor, submitted a petition and was ignored. In response, she helped organize the mock parliament. The tactic would become a common practice for women suffragists throughout Canada for the next two decades. On March 17th, the first Stanley Cup playoff game would be played. The Amateur Hockey Association of Canada had four teams tied with records of 5-3-0 for the championship. It was decided that since there was no tie-breaking system in place, a three-team tournament would take place between the Ottawa Hockey Club, the Montreal Victorias, and the Montreal Hockey Club. In the first Stanley Cup playoff game, the Montreal Hockey Club would defeat the Montreal Victorias 3-2, and then five days later, on March 22nd, the Montreal Hockey Club would defeat the Ottawa Hockey Club by a score of 3-1 to claim the first Stanley Cup. The Montreal Hockey Club would eventually win the Stanley Cup again in 1894, 1902, and 1903. In 1930, they won the Allen Cup, and in 1932 became the Montreal Royals, which itself would exist until 1961. On May 1, 1893, the name Stanley Cup was first used in an article by the Ottawa Journal which stated in bold letters as the headline, The Stanley Cup. It reported, The Governor-General, in accordance with a promise made last year, has given a Hockey Challenge Cup to be held from year to year by the winning team in the Dominion. On May 5th, Joseph Dewey Soper was born in Rockwood, Ontario. As a young man, he was inspired by Henry David Thoreau's Walden and would go on to study zoology at the University of Alberta. In 1923, he was commissioned to document Arctic flora and fauna on Baffin Island, Beachy Island, Ellesmere Island, and parts of Greenland and Labrador. The next year, he conducted another Arctic expedition, covering 6,400 kilometers between 1924 and 1926 by dog sled, boat, and canoe. In 1928, he began a six-year, 50,000-kilometer search on Baffin Island for Blue Goose nesting grounds, which he accomplished in 1929. He would earn the nickname of Blue Goose Soper as a result. 
1934, he became the first federal chief migratory bird officer for the Prairie Provinces in the Canadian Wildlife Service, and in 1948 was the chief federal wildlife officer for Alberta, the Northwest Territories, and the Yukon. By the time he finished his career, he had completed three Arctic expeditions and published 130 research papers. He would pass away in Edmonton in 1982. Frank J. Selke was born on May 7th in Berlin, Ontario, today called Kitchener after the name was changed in 1916. At the age of 14, Selke was managing the Iroquois Bantams in Berlin, and then from 1912 to 1915 was coaching the Berlin Union Jacks. He would help them get to the league final in the final season with them, and in 1919 he went on to coach the University of Toronto's hockey team to their first Memorial Cup. After the success with the Toronto Marlboros, who he led as a coach of the 1929 Memorial Cup Championship, he would be called on to become the assistant to Con Smythe of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He would hold on to this position until 1946. During his time with the team, he helped raise money for the construction of Maple Leaf Gardens and filled in as the acting manager of the team when Con Smythe was away during the Second World War. The directors of the team were so happy with Selkie, who helped the team win the 1942 and 1945 Stanley Cups, they asked him to remain in charge even though Con Smythe returned. Things did not go well from the get-go with the two. Selkie had traded Frank Edels to the Canadians for the rights to Ted Kennedy in 1943, something that Smythe was not happy about at the time. Kennedy would go on to captain the Maple Leafs for eight seasons, playing with them until 1957, and was the first NHL player to win five Stanley Cups. He also won the Hart Trophy and was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1966. Edels won a Stanley Cup in 1946, but he is mostly remembered for being part of the lopsided trade for Kennedy. By 1946, Selkie was out and the Montreal Canadiens snapped him up within two months and made him the general manager of the team. As manager, he would begin signing players and working a farm system that would keep great players coming into the team. His farm system would produce Jean Beliveau, Dickie Moore, Tom Johnson, and Henri Richard, all members of the Hockey Hall of Fame. He would win the Stanley Cup with the team in 1953, and five times in a row from 1956 to 1960, the only team ever to do so. In 1960, Selkie was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and in 1978, the NHL created the Frank J. Selkie Trophy, given to the best defensive forward in the game. In its first four years, the trophy was won by Bob Ganey of the Montreal Canadiens. Selkie passed away in 1985 at the age of 92. On May 27th, though some sources say May 23rd, Algonquin Provincial Park could be established as a wildlife sanctuary in Ontario. This makes it the oldest provincial park in all of Canada. Its creation was thanks to a five-member royal commission that recommended the establishment of the park, where it was the headwaters to five major rivers. This was in response to the heavy logging being done in the area of the future park. The commission would state in its goals in the report, stating, The preservation of the streams, lakes, and water courses in the park, and especially from the headwaters of those rivers, which have their sources therein, the maintenance of the park in a state of nature as far as possible, having regard to existing interests, to protect the fish, insectivorous, and other birds, game, and fur-bearing animals therein, and to encourage their growth and increase, to provide a field for experiments in and practice of systematic forestry upon a limited scale, to serve as a sanitarium or place of health resort. The name of the park comes from the Algonquin people, who were the indigenous inhabitants of the area. Initially, it was referred to the Algonquin National Park of Ontario, but it wasn't a national park as was under the jurisdiction of the provincial government. It would become Algonquin Provincial Park in 1913. 
At the time, the park included 18 townships and covered an area of 3,797 square kilometers, 10% of which was water. Today, the park is 7,653 square kilometers, and it was named as the National Historic Site of Canada. Currently, the park is the only designated park in Ontario to allow industrial logging in its borders, albeit on a limited scale. The park is also famous for the tragic death of artist Tom Thompson on Canoe Lake, stated to be an accidental drowning in 1917. Some speculate about his death being suicide, murder, or an accident. Ken Danby, the painter of the iconic At the Crease, died there in 2007, and writer Blair Fraser died in the park in 1968. On July 22nd, John Ray would pass away at the age of 79. Born in Scotland, he would explore many different places in North America, including the Gulf of Boothia and the Arctic coast near Victoria Island. He would also obtain credible information about the fate of the Franklin expedition from the Inuit. Highly skilled at living off the land, hunting, and the use of indigenous methods in boat handling, his openness to adopting and learning the ways of the Inuit was unusual for the time, but it made him the foremost specialist in cold climate survival and travel. And while many felt that the indigenous were too primitive to learn from, Ray respected indigenous customs, traditions, and skills. And while Ray would find the credible evidence of what happened to the Franklin expedition, Lady Franklin's efforts to glorify the dead of the expedition meant that Ray's accounts that were less noble for the fate of Franklin resulted in him being shunned by the British establishment. While other explorers were all knighted, Ray never was. It would not be until 2014 that a plaque dedicated to Ray was installed at Westminster Abbey, where he should have been buried originally for his accomplishments. A giant of Canadian music was born on August 18th in Ontario. Ernest McMillan was born into a musical family and began studying at the age of eight. At the age of ten, he gave his first organ recital and was described as a musical prodigy. In 1914, he was in Germany when the Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated. Macmillan was detained by German police, and after Canada declared war on Germany, he was imprisoned as an enemy alien. He would spend the entire First World War at a British civilian detention camp outside Berlin. Sir Ernest, how did you come to be in Germany when the First World War broke out? Well, actually, I had been studying in Paris for a period and uh, had gone to Bayreuth for the Wagner Festival, intending to spend just a week there. However, the war broke out just at that time, and uh, for various reasons, I wasn't able to get away. I suppose it was partly because I, I didn't really understand how much a war could affect civilians. In those days, one thought of war as something that happened to the other people a long way off. Being very remote. Yes, being very remote. But... Uh, I was led to believe by those who ought to have known that I was going to be shipped over the border at a very short interval. So I lay quietly for a little while, and uh, the time went by when I could possibly have got away. But that uh, didn't happen. You were stuck in Germany for the entire duration of the war. Yes, I hadn't expected that at all. But first of all, I was uh, put into the prison in Nuremberg and uh, spent nine weeks in solitary confinement there. I had quite the experience of a hardened criminal. I was driven in the Black Mariah and fingerprinted and, and photographed for the rogues gallery and uh, even had the handcuffs on on one occasion. Seems that you got the full treatment as a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't as bad as that. However, uh, at the end of that period, I was taken up under guard from Nuremberg to Berlin, the prison camp 
for the, the, the interned um, British civilians was in the neighborhood of Berlin at Ruhleben. And, uh, well, I spent the rest of the war behind barbed wire there. After returning to Canada, he would become a conductor at the Timothy Eaton Memorial Church in Toronto, becoming the premier conductor in the country with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. He would also be noted for being an excellent performer and a composer, with a string quartet and C minor being seen as his most influential work. In 1935, he would be knighted by King George V, and in 1938, was made an honorary member of the Royal Academy of Music. In 1964, the facility for the University of Toronto's Faculty of Music was named for Macmillan. The personal papers of Macmillan and his music would be established in the Music Archives in the National Library of Canada, and his former home is also a National Historic Site in Toronto. Today, he is called Canada's Musical Knight and the preeminent musician of Canada from the 1920s to the 1950s. He would pass away on May 6, 1973. On August 21st, Wilfred Curtis was born in Havelock, Ontario. In 1916, he would join the Royal Naval Air Service, and in 1917 was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross for his skill and courage. The medal was as a result of an attack on October 21, 1917, when Curtis took down an enemy plane, then shot down a second enemy plane, and in all, he had 13 kills in the air. He stayed with the military in the interwar years, and during the Second World War, he would become the Deputy Air Officer commanding the RCAF Overseas Headquarters in London. After the war, in 1947, he was appointed the Chief of the Air Staff. In that role, he would reorganize the RCAF and expand it during the Korean War and as part of NATO. He would serve in the role until his retirement in January 1953. In 1967, he was awarded the Order of Canada, and in 1973 was inducted into the Canada Aviation Hall of Fame. He would pass away on August 14, 1977. On September 18, 1893, Lord Aberdeen was appointed as the Governor-General of Canada. He had arrived in Canada the previous day. The Vancouver province would say years later, Lord Aberdeen's selection for the Governor-Generalship came as no surprise, for both Lady Aberdeen and himself had long displayed the keenest interest in the development, especially by way of colonization, of the overseas parts of the Empire. Upon Aberdeen's arrival in Canada at Quebec City, there was actually very little in the way of citizens coming out to see him, the Ottawa Daily Citizen reported. The weather, which has been disagreeable since yesterday morning, continued to be cold and rainy so that at 9 o'clock this morning, there was very few onlookers to witness Lord Aberdeen's official landing on Canadian soil. On October 12th, George Hodson's was born in Montreal. He began competing in swimming and water polo at McGill University. In 1912, he competed in the Olympic Games in Stockholm, earning a gold in the 400-meter freestyle and the 1500-meter freestyle. He would be Canada's only winner in swimming competitions at the Olympics until 1984. After he returned home, he retired from swimming at the age of only 18. Both of his times in the 400 and 1500 meter freestyle swims were Olympic records at the time. He would graduate from McGill in 1916 with a degree in applied science. Generally considered the greatest swimmer in Canadian history, he would be inducted into Canada's Sports Hall of Fame in 1955, the International Swimming Hall of Fame in 1968, and McGill University Sports Hall of Fame in 1996. He would pass away in Montreal at the age of 89 in 1983. On October 30th, Canada's third Prime Minister, Sir John Abbott, would pass away at the age of 72. Born in Lower Canada, he was the first Prime Minister to be born in Canada. He would become Prime Minister following the death of Sir John Macdonald in 1891, serving from June 16, 1891 to November 24, 1892. As he was in his 70s at the time, he did not stay Prime Minister for long. 
And while he was not Prime Minister for long, he did deal with a large government backlog of business, including reforming the civil service and making revisions to the criminal code. In 1999, a ranking of the first 20 Prime Ministers was done, and he ranked 17th. On October 31st, William Lyme Mackenzie King, future Prime Minister, wrote in his journal, the night was a great night with the police. Being Halloween, a great number of students went to hear Gladiator at the Grand. After this, the chief work of the evening was to tear down an old shed on the varsity grounds. We sang college songs, tore down fence, I carried a large flagpole. The police were very rough. Many fellows were struck. On November 22nd, Raymond Collishaw was born in Nanaimo, British Columbia. He too would go on to become a pilot during the First World War. He would qualify as a pilot in January 1916 and spent seven months patrolling the British coast. His first recorded enemy victory would come on October 12, 1916, and he would go on to become the highest scoring Royal Navy Air Service flying ace with 60 victories in the air, and was second only to Billy Bishop for total enemy kills in the air among all Canadian pilots. During the war, he would earn the Distinguished Service Cross and the Distinguished Flying Cross, along with the Distinguished Service Order and Bar. In 1919, he would help the White Russian forces during the Russian Civil War and would go on to serve in Persia and Egypt. During the Second World War, he would command the number 204 Group, later called the Desert Air Force in North Africa. I had an adventurous, wonderful life and I, I, I wouldn't have changed it for, uh, for anything really. In the wintertime, I do air historical research work. When we find something in history that doesn't seem to us as being logical or proper, we examine it, do research on it, and eventually approve it, or whitewash it, or do something with it to make it satisfactory to us from the historical point of view. I've uh, created roasters for all the RFC and RNAS squadrons, for the German Jastas, for the French Escadrilles, and for the American squadrons. And I've also established an air casualty register which takes into consideration the names of all those killed in all the years 1914 to 1918 includes British, American, Canadian, German, French, Austrian, and Italian. And I hope someday to get the Russians in. He would die at the age of 82 on September 28, 1976. In 1999, the Nanaimo Airport was named in his honor. Charles Sangster would die on December 9th at the age of 71. He was the first poet in Canadian history to write poetry that was based on Canadian subjects, and he is called the best of the pre-Confederation poets. Working as a journalist for parts of his adult life, he would release his first book on poetry, The St. Lawrence and the Saguenay, and other poems, in 1856. It was widely praised and called the best and most important book of poetry produced in Canada until that time. The National Magazine of London would say of Sagster, well may the Canadians be proud of such contributions to their infant literature. In some sort, and according to his degree, Mr. Sagster may be regarded as the Wordsworth of Canada. In 1892, he was made a Fellow of the Royal Society of Canada. On December 23rd, Arthur Brown was born in Carleton Place, Ontario. When the First World War broke out, he would enlist and crashed his plane soon after completing training, requiring two months in the hospital. In 1917, he began flying in patrols on the Belgian coast, achieving his first kill on July 17th of that year. On April 21st, 1918, Brown took to the air with legendary pilot Wap May, who was at the time just starting out in his career as a pilot. Brown and May had been friends in school, and the pilots came across a squadron of German fighters in the sky. May was told to stay clear of the fight, and did so, but seeing another pilot doing the same, he attacked. 
The other pilot was Lieutenant Wolfram von Richthofen, the cousin of the Red Baron. The Red Baron began chasing Wat May, and Brown, seeing his friend in trouble, dove steeply to rescue his friend. And while it's not known exactly what happened after this, the end result was the Red Baron was shot down, ending the career of the greatest flying ace of the First World War. Brown was credited with the kill and awarded a bar on the Distinguished Flying Cross as a result. After the war, he would work as an accountant at a small-town grocery store and starred in a small airline in 1928. When the Second World War broke out, he attempted to re-enlist, but was refused. He would pass away on March 9, 1944. In 2015, he was inducted into the Canadian Aviation Hall of Fame. Events without a date include the Canadian Evidence Act being passed. This law regulates the rules of evidence in court proceedings. This act only applies to proceedings conducted under federal law. Each province has its own provincial law and its own Evidence Act under provincial law. Also during this year, Parr was born on Baffin Island. He was an Inuit artist who lived a traditional Inuit lifestyle with his family. In Cape Dorset, he began to draw and make stone-cut relief prints. Over the next eight years, he would create over 2,000 works of hunting, shamanic subjects, and more, and he would pass away in 1969. In 1977, one of his prints was featured on a stamp from Canada Post. His work is also on permanent display at the National Gallery of Canada. And in 1893, Gabriel Dumont set up his permanent home in Batoche, and he would dictate a two-volume memoir of the Northwest Resistance. The 103-page manuscript, dictated to friends, remained unseen and unpublished in the Manitoba Provincial Archives until 1971. It was discovered at that point. It was translated into English and published as Gabriel Dumas Speaks in 2009. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a 5-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many you can sink your teeth into. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com, or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those links in the show notes.